And welcome to John Park's workshop. It's me, John Park, and guess what? This is the 100th episode. Can you believe it? Uh, it might actually not be the 100th. I didn't quite keep perfect track of things, but that's how I have it labeled in my notes. Uh, last week was 99, so we'll, we'll call this one 100. Uh, and I am really excited to, uh, to have had this opportunity to uh, come and show you around my workshop every week and build some fun projects. I hope you've enjoyed it too. Uh, and I think, gosh, I forgot, I wrote the date down inside uh, and, and forgot to bring it here, but I think it was July 11th of 2017 or something uh, was when we started. So here we are, we'll celebrate this as episode 100. How about that? Um, so to kick things off, let's, uh, let's start off with a couple of little notices. One, we've got our jobs board, right? You knew that, didn't you? Well, check it out. There's some great uh, looking resumes of people who are looking for work up here in our jobs board. That's at jobs.adafruit.com. So check it out if you haven't. Um, and, oh, thank you, Mr. Certainly. Yeah, I was just, oh, are we getting an echo? Hold on, I have a, I have a remedy for the echo. All right, so that was the episode 100 echo segment, and now we're gonna gonna do the not echoing segment. How about that? Uh, in a stadium, how's my echo now? Huh? You tell me. Buzzing, buzzing is probably my air conditioning, and if I don't have that on, then. Um, I know my cameras are going to overheat. So uh, I think we're good now. Let me know. Uh, so hey, but right here in our jobs board, we've got a bunch of great looking uh, resumes up. Look at some of these uh, positions people are, are throwing up their info on. Uh, Todd Bot is, is uh, upset that my echo is gone. Hey, do you wonder who I'm talking to? If you don't know, I'm talking to people over in the Discord chat. And I'm keeping an eye on YouTube as well, so hello. Thanks, Matambale. We're all good now. 
so check out Discord if you wanna if you wanna text chat with people or ask any questions or let me know things like uh, hey you are echoing, that's a, a useful tidbit there, um, and so that is our jobs board. It's free. Did you know that? It's absolutely free to post a position or to post your resume if you're looking for work. Uh, hey, check this out. This is our coupon code for the day. And it is 100. It is spelled out 1-100 for our 100th episode of John Park's Workshop. And uh, that will get you 10% off. It will not get you 100% off. I am sorry, but it won't. But it will get you 10% off in the Adafruit store. So go to the store. Go to adafruit.com. Check out the shop. Look for some cool stuff. There's some really cool stuff in the store. We're making new boards all the time. In fact, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show off one of our little cool new boards today as my product pick of the week. Um, and in fact, that's coming up next. So I'm going to have a sip of water. Right, so 100, O-N-E-100 will get you 10% off. And if you're wondering, hey, what could I get? Well, have I got something for you. It is this, the VCN for, VCNL 4040 Proximity and Lux Sensor. Uh, I'm going to show you. I've got one right here. Here it is. And uh, this little guy, first thing I'm going to mention about it is I am crazy about these Stemma QT connectors. Uh, I believe these are also the same format as the Quick connector, Q-W-I-I-C from SparkFun. And it's great because look, I have it plugged into a Metro here just for some testing. I haven't decided yet if I'm mounting it into a project, so I didn't want to go and, and uh, solder header pins in because are you going to solder them up or down, male, female? There's a lot of decisions to make. Maybe wires are going directly to it, but I may not at all. And definitely in the interim, I can use one of our little breakout cables that goes from the Stemma QT out to some male header pins and just plug it into the Metro there. And what you're going to notice on this guy is right in the middle, this is, you can see it in my picture over here in the corner a little better, this is a little emitter and receiver uh, that operates on IR, infrared, little pulses. In fact, you can kind of see it pulsing there in my camera view. You can't see that to the naked eye. Um, and that is checking the distance from about, what, uh, did we say 200 millimeters? A few inches away down to zero, it will measure pretty accurately. Uh, and I'm gonna give you a demo right here. How about that? So I'm gonna turn off my AC for a moment. We'll tempt fate. Uh, so here you can see, actually I'm gonna, so check this out. As I, okay, I'm not smoothing out. There's a little bit of noise there you can see, but if I go out of the way and in and out, you can see that that would be really convenient to measure if you wanted to use this as like a proximity switch of some kind, or if you wanted to measure the distance. Right there, you can see it's quite accurate. I really dig it. Um, these are, I was talking to uh, Brian Sedacious, who uh, did the breakout work and, and maybe driver work, I'm not sure, but did, did the work on this board. Uh, it's Brian's baby. And uh, I asked him, hey, what are these used for commonly? So these are everything from the sensor in your phone that turns the screen off when you lift your phone up to your head, uh, to the soap dispenser in a fancy faucet, 
to uh, lid close detection on laptops, all sorts of uses, uh, edge detection for toys so the little toy robots don't drive off the edge of a table. Uh, really useful for measuring stuff that's pretty close up and with a high degree of accuracy. So that is our VCNL 4040 breakout board. And I love this. I love this quick connector. Super cool. Uh, so that is my pick of the week. Product of the week right there uh, is that cool board. And easy to set up, by the way. This is um, I2C. So all I've got plugged in is power, ground, uh, clock, and data. And so there's four wires, and you plug those in, and you can daisy chain them. So you can stick other I2C devices along this little chain as long as they have unique addresses. Um, super cool. I like where things are going. Really, really convenient. No breadboard there, just plug, plug. Uh, I hope more and more microcontrollers, hint, hint, Lady Ada, I hope more and more of our microcontrollers end up with a quick connector on them, so that, uh, or the Stemma QT, the little one. I love the little Stemma QT connector, so that we can plug, 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 plug away. So please, if you're designing a, a microcontroller breakout or board, consider it, would you? All right, I'm turning my AC back on because I can already feel my cameras screaming inside as they start to overheat. Uh, so that brings us to this. This is our Make Code Minute, and look, there's two of me. So we'll put that there instead. All right, AC off. So for the Make Code Minute today, what I wanted to do is show you how you can use the console log when you're creating a program in Make Code in order to check out the values of something you're doing. So if you're using some math blocks or creating a formula of some kind uh, and you want to see, am I actually getting the values that I think I'm getting without even uploading it to hardware, you'll notice I have this button A click input, and then I ramp through four or five times from zero to four. I run through uh, logging the console value of the index, and then I pause a second, and then on the next iteration, it's going to add one to that until it gets to four and then goes back. So how do you see this uh, in the simulator? Well, right now this is running, but there's nothing being spit out to the console until I hit the A button. Now you'll see I can show the console in the simulator. So when I click that, you'll now see that each time I press the A button, I get 0, 1, 2, 3, 4. 0, 1, 2, 3, 4. And that is displayed both in this readout down at the bottom as well as this handy little graph here. And so that is a really convenient thing to, to consider using to print out these values when you're working uh, in creating your code and make code. And so that is how you can use the console log in the simulator inside of Make Code. That is your Make Code Minute. All right, well, let's turn the AC back on. Woo, it's a hot one, huh? Uh, let's see. Yeah, AC was causing the buzzing. I know that one main cam of mine is just going to go up and smoke one of these days when it gets overheated. <laughs> please don't, camera. Please hang on. It's almost the fall, sort of. Uh, all right, so next thing I want to talk about is our 
Make Code Arcade Game of the Week. So, once again, AC off. And let me bring up my browser again. And here we go. So, my Make Code Arcade Game Pick of the Week is Element Catch, the compound creator. This is cool. It's a sort of edutainment game that was created by Corey Zenberg. And it is used to teach which chemical elements form different compounds. Uh, and so let's take a look at the game itself. I'm going to head over to my simulator. And uh, actually, you might even hear this. I can't remember if my setup is going to work like that right now. Okay, so I'm going to catch that. Oh, I already have enough of that. All right, so I'm going to hit A. And now I don't want... You get away. I don't want a carbon atom. I need a chlorine atom. Let's get it. Boom, built hydrogen peroxide is the next one. So um, one thing I want you to notice is watch when I get one of these elements. Look at my beaker. It's now got this little sloshing uh, liquid animation. And I thought that was really, really cool. So I wanted to take a look at how that was done. Let's hit stop here on the simulator. And, oops, let me close, or I'll minimize that. Uh, here is the code, so I'm going to zoom out, and you can use command and the scroll wheel to zoom out quickly. Uh, and I am looking for these green blocks, which are the animation blocks. So check this out, it's pretty nice. This is a separate function that's called fill, and as soon as a, uh, an atom that you're supposed to get, or an element you're supposed to get, is, uh, collides with the player beaker, it tells it to run this animation. So this is using the animation extension. It says set anim fill to create a fill with interval of 100 milliseconds. And then it attaches that anim fill animation to the flask, which is a, a player sprite. And then there are these five frames of animation. And so you can see it's uh, sort of in a steady state, but a little to the left. Then it's been redrawn to climb up the wall on the left. And we have a perfectly flat. And then it sloshes all the way up the side on the right. And then comes down to mostly settled again. And I thought that was a really nice way to add what's called secondary animation to the game to give you a sense that things are alive. And it's the first time I've seen someone add that kind of secondary animation in a make code arcade game. And so I thought it was super cool. And uh, I encourage you to go check it out. And you might also learn some chemical compounds along the way. Uh, in fact, my son is studying chemistry now in high school, and I might have to introduce him to this game because they're memorizing the compounds and names right now. So that is my Make Code Arcade pick of the week. All right, people. Air conditioning back on. Um, you know what I wanted to do, actually? And this will take me a little further away from the AC, so maybe a little, a little quieter for you. Um, I wanted to share with you, if you watched um, the show and tell last night, I already showed and told this, and I've got it up on my um, uh, social media, so you may have seen this already, but I'm so excited about it, I'm going to show it again. And this is a little find I had at the thrift store this week, uh, and it is a camera flash grip from an old camera that I've already started to add some doodads to. Um, but you can see here, 
this is essentially, let's, let's try to remember how I have these plugged in so I can plug them back in. Gray is on the right here, all right. And that's how it came to me. Zoom out just a little bit. So this is uh, almost the same type of grip that was used for the uh, lightsabers in the original Star Wars. Um, it's a different brand, but it was actually mounted to the same type of camera. So Graflex is the brand that was used, uh, I think, for Luke's uh, lightsaber um, that Obi-Wan gives him. This is a uh, CalArt, spelled with a K, but this mount here mounts on a Graflex camera, and it has a little um, cam here or screw to tighten and loosen that grip on the camera. And if you look at the bottom here, it's got a really nice, clever mechanism for securely holding the batteries in place. So we lift up this notch, and then we can pull out the base of it. So it's a lot like a flashlight in that sense. I've put some modern C-cells in it. And C-cells is what was in it originally. It's these gorgeous Bright Star brand uh, batteries, which is, I think, from Hoboken, New Jersey, was where this company was. I looked them up. Um, and I was amazed, there's, there's three of them, but I've, I've got one over there. I was amazed that these actually still register uh, 1.4 volts if you, if you hook them up to a meter. I don't uh, suppose there's much charge left, much capacity left, but they are still holding a charge, which is crazy because these have uh, 647. These are from 1947 on them, and they're still holding a charge, which is amazing. Uh, so what I did was I poked around on this thing a little bit and found that there are quite a few different um, ports on it that give you different, oh, what's beeping? I'm not sure what's beeping. I just heard something beep. I hope that's not some desperate uh, plea for me to fix something. I think my audio is working, yeah. So uh, with that, I'm not sure why that's not going fully into place. So with that battery in place, uh, there are ports on here. One is a switch, so uh, this probably would have been uh, connected to how you're triggering the shutter. Uh, and so I just bent up one of our little uh, toggle switches here, and so now I can open and close that switch. And when that's closed, it provides the full roughly 3.75 or 4 volts to here, uh, which is where the uh, bulb would screw in, bayonet mount bulb. And to these two, uh, if you can see those, we've got two little uh, sort of plug notches there. And so I've taken uh, a Circuit Playground Express and I've put some crimp connectors on there so I can plug that in. Um, and now you'll see it's powering up my Circuit Playground Express. And I can turn it off with this, turn it back on with that. Uh, it's also got an always-on, so this one here, I just put a LED as sort of an indicator with a big resistor on it. Um, and there's also, this won't be great for the circuit playground, but there's also a momentary uh, on here so you could manually trigger it. So if we pull that down, it, it makes a contact inside. Uh, so I'm not sure what I'm going to use that for, but I thought that was uh, pretty cool, and conveniently it's, uh, it's a voltage that a lot of our things like to run on, which is about the same as the, the LiPo batteries, about a little under 4 volts. So uh, that's my thrift store find of the week, and it cost me a dollar and nine cents. So how about that? Uh, go to your thrift stores, people. That's what I encourage you to do. All right. Let's see. 
What is binging me? Air conditioner doesn't know if it's coming. Audio is working. I just got a, a note. Okay, thank you. I'm not sure what's binging at me. There's, you know what? It would be great if there were a place where I could say what thing keeps making persistent sounds at me because I don't know what's trying to bing at me. Uh, all right, so let's get to our project of the week, the project's build this week. Um, this is going to, let's see, I'm going to bring up a Chrome window here. And I'll put me over there. And so this is our sketch, and it's going to make more sense, or our code, it's going to make more sense to just show it. So uh, here's an example of what this is going to do. Let me, uh, let's go ahead and see if I can delete those layers. Okay. So this is a paint program, and I found this one online. It's called Sketch.io, Sketchpad, Sketch.io, Sketchpad. Uh, and it, I like it because it has, it's free, you can just, start using it, um, and it has uh, paint brushes and drawing brushes of different shapes and sizes and styles of tips. And so if I just grab the brush and start painting with my mouse, I can get something like this. Um, for the project, what I realized was that one of the really easy to use blocks inside of Make Code is the HID mouse and HID keyboard and HID gamepad emulation. So this is HID mouse emulation. Uh, and I've used this before. Um, in fact, I can turn off that AC now. I'm not using that camera. I've used this before in Adabox 7 running on a Gemma to make a little mouse jiggler. And this can be a prank uh, so that if you plug it in on the back of someone's computer, you can have every once in a while their mouse just start moving on them. Or you can use it intentionally to keep a screensaver from coming on. Some people use mouse jigglers to keep um, machines from going to sleep while they're giving presentations. Um, but I thought, you know what, instead of jiggling, what if we made some really deliberate motions with uh, the mouse that are really hard to do by hand, but might be interesting in a paint program setting or maybe a game or some other use. So um, what I'm going to do is I've, I've got my brush sitting here. Let's pick a fun bright color. Uh, I don't know this program that well, so I might fumble around. There we go. we got a nice magenta. Um, and I'll bring the size up a little bit. Gives you a nice little preview there. So the way I have this set right now, if I, let me reset it. If I toggle left and right, I can pick some different uh, choices of brushes. And I also have cap sense that I can press um, in order to, in fact, let me give you an overhead. Let me give you an overhead view of that. That might make some sense. All right, a little setup here if you'll bear with me. Yeah, that's better. Uh, okay, so good. Now you can see it. Okay, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to press this B button, and you can see it draws me this nearly perfect circle. Yep. Uh, and now what I've done is I've got these three LEDs that are sort of bluish right now, which indicate... Um, some settings that I have, some parameters that I can change. And I've also got this one magenta LED to indicate the direction of the slide switch so I know which mode I'm in. So right now I'm in circle mode. Uh, if I want to adjust the radius of that circle, I can make it smaller by tapping 
this lower cap pad near that, now I've got a really small circle, uh, or I can tap the cap pad that's above it to start getting big. And it'll get so big that it'll drive right off the canvas. So depending on the software you're using, that could have weird results. You can see here it kind of shifted itself. Um, so that is this circle mode. Now let's, let's just change the color for fun. deep orangish yellow. Now the, um, that's the B button. The A button gives me a sine wave. And what I can do with that one is adjust the amplitude of it. So now it'll be a, a larger amplitude. Uh, and I can also adjust the um, period of the wave. So kind of how wide it is. And that is with this one here. Move my cursor. I thought I adjusted it. There we go. So now we have a really zigzaggy one because it's got such a small period. Oh, it's driving off the screen. Um, and now let's uh, clear this screen. I can just undo in here a little bit. Now if I switch over to the other mode with the slide switch and press B. I'm making a essentially a diamond pattern, but it's interesting in this software, it, it really kind of rounds it almost like it's a bezier spline. Let's make our radius a little larger. And you can see it takes a little bit to keep up with it. That's not just, just my video playback being slow. Let's get a little bigger. Oh, I've gone the other way. And so you can make these kind of infinity patterns if you go between negative and positive uh, sizing on that radius. And then uh, the other button gives me a cosine, which I would probably switch to something else in the final because it just ends up looking an awful lot like the sine. Um, but let's, let's talk about that. So I mentioned sine and cosine. So let's have a look um, at, let me hide my, not my me, my that, okay. Uh, let's have a look at the code on this. So this is in pretty much stock uh, vanilla make code. Um, and I don't believe I've even added any, yeah, I have not added any extensions. So this is just straight out of the, out of the box make code. Um, I think I did one slightly sneaky thing over in JavaScript to get pi. Uh, I wanted the, the value of pi, which you can't get in blocks. Um, but let's take a look at how this works in general. And I'll be writing a guide on this so you'll be able to follow along some step-by-step -step and you'll be able to download the program. So on the start, uh, first thing I'm doing is setting some of these pixels. Um, and I decided to use hue, saturation, and value for the color rather than red, green, blue. And that just, I've mentioned this before, but that makes it easier to uh, sort of programmatically adjust things. So the color is a, a ratio of the, the radius or some other number that I'm changing just so that you'll see um, changes without me having to build a big array of colors or, or deal with the, the red, green, blue uh, values all the time. So I'm only changing hue for the most part. Uh, and then I've got a bunch of variables that I'm setting. It's pretty almost, almost the rest of what I'm doing in here. So I've got, um, these are not in any particular order, but I have a multiplier on the radius based on screen value. So if, 
excuse me, I was developing this on another computer which has a smaller monitor and all of my numbers looked really tiny on this monitor just because it's the, the pixels, the number of pixels I'm moving uh, is so much fewer relative to the size of a canvas. So that's a multiplier that I added in here that I can just adjust when I go to a different machine on uh, the radius as well as that wave um, wavelength. The amplitude, I'm starting out with some defaults here. So I have an amplitude of 10. That's how high the sine and cosine waves are going to be. Um, and then this list, these two lists here, actually, what I'm using, oh, I lied. I'm, yeah, I, I'm just setting uh, hue saturation value. I'm just setting the hue, but I'm actually doing it from a table. So this is a little table of different amplitudes, um, just because I didn't want to um, have to tune the iterations. I just found some numbers that worked well, and then the multiplier will, will help me with the rest of it. So these are the numbers we loop through just touching one capacitive touch sensor. We just flip through all of those um, different values every time we hit it. Uh, and those are the colors that it goes through. And then I have the same sort of thing for this wave period, or the sort of width of the waves. Um, values that looked good to me and uh, aren't, aren't scientific, but I just liked the results I was getting inside of Photoshop. Uh, and then I have a length variable, uh, which is how long it draws that curve for. It's actually how many iterations of adding one value to the pixels. Um, and actually, I should, I should go in here, really, the, the key thing. Okay, so I lied. Yeah, there is one extension I've added, and that's mouse. Um, and so let's zoom. Can you see that better? Yeah, as I, as I increase this, that'll increase. So mouse is an extension. So I went to advanced extensions and I added in mouse from this list. It's not here anymore because I've already added it, but it's an awful lot like adding keyboard. And what this can do is it can send commands to the cursor as if a real mouse is hooked up. Uh, and the things it can do are press the button, the left button up and down and the right button up and down. And it can move the mouse in increments. So moving 0, 0 doesn't go to a, a coordinate on the screen. It just moves it none relative to where it is. If you put one in there on X, it's just going to move one pixel to the right. If you put five on Y, it's going to move one pixel or five pixels up on Y. Um, so all the formulas that we create are going to be based on iterating uh, through the relative space, not an absolute space. Uh, and then you can also turn the wheel, which I'm not using here, but that would do things like scrolling, or maybe you have software where uh, the pen size is based on the scroll wheel, then you could um, add that in as well. So one word, as I've just put in a bug uh, report on this on GitHub for make code, the mouse buttons are swapped. So if you try to use the left mouse button, it's actually going to be clicking the right mouse button, which confused me for a moment until I realized they were flipped. So uh, what you'll see is when I do one of the drawings, uh, let's do, this one's a simple one. Um, this one's kind of a brute force one. I'm going to close this so this gets a little bigger. Uh, so this is, I've created a function called diamond. And when this is called, it clicks the mouse button down, and you'll see there it says right, even though you'd think it's the left mouse button. So those are swapped. Um, I haven't tried middle. I don't know what happens there. Maybe that one's just correct. So it's the mouse button gets pressed down. So that's like we've clicked. And then I'm doing these four moves. I'm moving to a position that's up and to the right. So you can see I'm going to, I'm using the radius. I'm using the same number if I'm in the circle or the diamond. So I'm going to whatever that number was times that multiplier, that screen multiplier. So if my radius is at 2 and my screen multiplier is at 4, now it's just going to try to move uh, 8 units 
to the right, and then I'm actually multiplying all that by 4. So it's that, what's that, 24, 32? 32. Um, and then on that's on the x-axis, and on the y-axis, its um, negative is up values in, in the coordinate system of the mouse. Um, so that's going up. I believe that's right. Is that right? I, I think that's right. Uh, and then I pause a moment, because in a lot of these programs, the brush actually, the ink stroke, you can see it, it needs to catch up. If you move too quickly, it draws a little slowly. So uh, in order to keep things sane, I'm waiting half a second for it to catch up. And maybe if I waited longer, we'd get straight lines in this program. Uh, in Photoshop, we do get straight lines with this uh, the way it is. And then you can see I go uh, up, and then right and down, and then left and down, and then left and up. And so that's what gives us our diamond shape. Um, so that's how mouse button is used. And then uh, that's also how some of these variables are used. And then at the end of it, we lift up the mouse button. Now, to adjust those things, I'm using these. Uh, so the mouse clicks, when I'm in uh, flipping my switch left and right, I'm going between um, the two styles. And uh, that gives me calling the sine and calling the cosine, depending on which um, switch I'm in. And A gives me the sine, and B gives me the circle, or gives me the, A gives me the cosine, and B gives me the diamond. And um, this is one of the iterations through uh, yeah, radius, how about? So when I touch the capacitive touchpad A3, it will uh, light up the little red LED momentarily so I can know I've, I've touched something successfully. It will change the radius uh, by the screen multiplier times 5, so I'm, I'm stepping up in pretty big increments depending on the screen I'm on. And then it sets the pixel color uh, to loop through that, that hue value, um, and I'm essentially using modulo, when you see this remainder of radius divided by 255, that's going to always keep my values inside of 255, 0 to 255. And then I turn off the red LED. So that's what that little um, tap, tap, tap of the capacitive touchpad does. And I have those set up for all the variables I want to adjust. Um, and then last thing we'll do is look at, so that one is really straightforward, just moving to four coordinate points. Here's a uh, a little fancier one. This is essentially using a formula for a sine wave. Um, and so you can see I'm looping through a number of times, which is uh, the, the length I gave it, which I think was like 300, divided by the wave period. So I draw a shorter line if I have more uh, lines or a longer line if I have fewer uh, periods, fewer waves. Uh, and then I set the x value to where the wave period uh, number is, and I set uh, a y variable to the amplitude number times the uh, sine of the index plus 1 divided by 4. And all I did was I went online and I looked at formulas for plotting uh, sine waves on a graph and came up with something like this that I was able to then adapt into make code blocks. And then I moved the mouse to those uh, variables that I just calculated. And the only reason I didn't put that in one block is it becomes super, super wide. So I first create the variable, and then I draw. And this also gives me the opportunity to multiply by that screen multiplier, so it's bigger on a, on a bigger screen. Uh, I pause for whatever my step delay is set to, which I think is 35 milliseconds. And that's a variable I set in the start. Uh, so that iterates through, drawing the sine wave. And then at the end, I wait a moment to catch up. Then I release the mouse button. Uh, so let's take a look at it once again. Um, here, that's, that's me just drawing freehand, which is cool and fun. OK, 
can make some really nice shapes. But if you want something uh, a little more precise, then we can uh, let's go let's go grab a different fancy brush. Uh, this is really fun with all right. How about this? Let me undo all these guys. This is fun with brushes that care about the angle you're moving at. So this uh, this one here, this one's called Web. Um, let's make the size bigger. Will this do it? Oh, wait, not. Yeah, do I want Web? I think I want Web. Oh, Spirograph. That's the one. This one's really cool. Uh, let's see. Is size gonna do it? All right. So let's get a bigger radius, and let me give you something with higher contrast. Uh, let's go to black. All right, so now, oh, this is giving straight lines, so you can see that that brush acts differently. Um, so this is a really cool spirograph brush that changes its rotation as you move the brush. Uh, and so now check it out with the sine waves. It looks really, really cool. Oh, that's too tight, so let's uh, get a bigger period. So I'm just tapping values on my Circuit Playground Express to on the capacitive pads. Yeah, look at that. Quite cool. So if you need to decorate for Halloween, I know it's a little early, you could probably use something like this to make some really interesting patterns. Uh, let's, let's go back to circle here for a second, see if we get a nice big, whoa, that's huge. Let's go down and scale a little. Still huge. There we go. All right. Uh, and so that was kind of my inspiration, is knowing that some of these brush tools care about the angles that you're moving. And uh, you can't just create a circle with a circle tool and plop this on because the brush is sort of a dynamic thing that's active and it needs to have a state knowing where it was. Um, so that uh, sort of what led me on this journey to wanting to essentially plot mouse moves using the Circuit Playground Express with Make Code and the HID mouse extension. Um, so that's the project of the week. And um, I want to, uh, oh, hey, FX Music, a late hello over in Discord. Yeah, let's, let's pop Discord on, up. What's, what's happening over there, Discord? Uh, let's turn off some things. And there's me and there's, where's Discord? Hello. Yeah, uh, so there, uh, thank you, C. Grover. By the way, C. Grover helped me with the math on the circle plotting. Uh, because every, everywhere I looked, it was about plotting the coordinates of a circle with a formula. Uh, and I needed to actually break that down to a per-step move. So that relative versus absolute thing. And I am not a mathematician. Uh, so uh, C. Grover was able to help me online over Discord with, with figuring some of that out. So thank you. Uh, I appreciate that. Um, and uh, what else is going on in here? Amazing how old tech lasts so long. Yeah, a lot of people online have said that, that those batteries, uh, this little beauty right here, probably don't have much capacity, but I'm still blown away because I don't think I've ever run into even a 10-year-old alkaline battery that, that registers much other than 0.1 on my meter. So the fact that this pops up uh, uh, 1.4 is bonkers to me. Uh, all right, well, thank you for stopping by for my uh, 100th, episode of John Park's Workshop. Uh, if you want to go to the store and get some cool stuff, then there's your coupon code. That's going to get you 10% off. Just type in 1-100 uh, in the Adafruit store and you will be good to go. So 
Um, thank you again so much. And that is the 100th episode of John Park's Workshop for Adafruit Industries. I'm John Park, and I will see you next week.